The Detroit Tigers make another waiver claim, and we're going to take a look at the bullpen today, specifically the back end, specifically Alex Lang, and the type of season that he's set up to have, as well as two people from last year's bullpen who won't be back this year, all today on Locked on Tigers. You are Locked on Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Tigers. I'm, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Monday, February 20th, 2023. Thank you for making Locked On Tigers your first listen. Every single day, we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. All righty, we got some moves to go over, a move to go over. We have a lack of moves to go over as well, a reoccurring theme throughout the offseason. We will talk about uh, Michael Fulmer and Andrew Chafin officially signing deals with teams that are not the Detroit Tigers and the conversation surrounding that because that's been a kind of a point of discussion in this fan base for a while now if they've took a long time to get signed and whether the Tigers were in the mix or not and then we're going to end the show with our Alex Lang player preview arguably the most electric player on the team on either side of the ball I don't care we're going to talk about some of his insane statistics and why I think he's kind of set up for a, a – if last year was the breakout year, this is the encore. This I, I really think that he has – the stage is set at least for him to have a great year. All it comes down to whether he's going to take that uh, and, and run with it. But let's start with the newest addition to the Detroit Tigers 40-man roster. This conversation starts with Casey Mize, Casey Mize moving to the 60-day IL – as the IL officially is is beginning to open back up again, you will see all of the players that we know are going to miss at least the first two months of the season. Casey Mize is not pitching at all this year. He will not be back until the beginning of 2024. So uh, it makes a lot of sense that he would be the first person they put on the 60-man. They know there's no chance of him coming back, and that's all. Uh, but I would imagine that Tarek Skubal in the foreseeable future will also be added to the 60-day IL. There's a couple of guys that – those are really the, the big two that you can kind of guarantee just right now going to start the season on the 60-day. And when you put someone on the 60-day, uh, it opens up a 40-man roster spot. So the Tigers filled that immediately by w- putting in a waiver claim, a successful waiver claim, and adding left-handed reliever Tyler Holton. Let's talk about Tyler Holton a little bit. He's a, as I said, 26-year-old left-handed reliever. Uh, just drafted in the ninth round in the 2018 MLB draft. He has been in the Diamondbacks system for his entire career, drafted by them, and then has been there all the way up until his Major League debut last season with them. Uh, they obviously put him on waivers to get him off the 40-man of the Tigers, put a claim in, and it was successful. So that is your newest member of the 40-man roster. Uh, let's go over uh, – he's a lefty reliever. So that immediately puts him in the discussion of what are his odds to make the team out of camp because, as we know, the only guaranteed lefty reliever we have right now on opening day is Tyler Alexander. And then we have a bunch of either minor league deals with invites to camp or or waiver claim guys or Rule 5 picks or et cetera, et cetera, people acquired in trades. Uh, that are lefties that are going to be in the running for. So 
we'll get to what this means for the depth later, just because I keep raving about it. And I'm going to bring that up again, but let's talk about him as a player. Okay. And kind of paint the picture of the type of, of pitcher that he is. And uh, hopefully that will kind of allow you to, to determine for yourself what the odds are, I guess I'll say of him making the, uh, the, the big league team out of camp and being, he's going to get a look in the spring. That's really the, the first and foremost. And I actually mean foremost, uh, he's going to get a legitimate look in spring training, just like all of these dudes are, you know, we're going to have a, a pitcher an inning so that we can get a legitimate look at these guys. Uh, Holton had a 14.2 K per nine in 2019 in single a ball. Uh, that was, that's a 41% K percentage. Obviously that's the very low level of the minors 2020. There's no minor league season comes back in 2021 as a almost 10 and a half K per nine in 2021 double a promoted to triple A about halfway through the year. And his K per nine actually goes up to a 12.38 K per nine there in, uh, like I said, in triple A in 2021, then was in triple A last year. And his K rate dipped to uh, like around eight and a half, which is a, a pretty substantial step back, but his ERA did go down. We'll talk about that in a second. And then last year he did throw nine major league innings, gave up three runs and then one Homer. Uh, I'm not going to take too terribly much from at least statistically, from nine major league innings uh you know what and those are really good strikeout numbers and his walk numbers aren't super high either but the reason why you're like okay this dude seems great well his eras are very high in the minors uh if you look at his year-by-year eras we'll just go every professional year of his career okay so 2019 rookie ball 338 2019 single a 223 really good season there with the really high k per nine then no minor league season in 2020. In 2021 in double A, he had a 6.33 ERA. In 2021, triple A, he had a 7.88 ERA. And then in triple A last year, uh, had a 4.43 ERA paired with, again, an 8.66 K per nine. So it took a step back there, but but also cut the ERA down pretty considerably. And then had a had a, exactly a three ERA, obviously, uh, for you math whizzes out there, uh, giving up three and runs in nine innings at the major league level last year. So uh, some, some look, I, I think that this is just someone that they looked at and they thought, look, he has some swing and miss stuff. He has had some success getting some strikeouts in the past. Maybe we can take a chance on him. Now, another thing to point out that I think is somewhat interesting is FIP. And we talk about FIP a lot. And some people hate when I bring up FIP. And I, I'm not saying this is an end-all be-all. I'm not saying this dude's anything more than than organizational depth with a chance of making the 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 bullpen as a lefty in spring. Uh, certainly not the favorite to get that job. But if you look at the FIP by year, it is significantly lower than the ERA. And I always just think that's worth pointing out, not doing anything else besides pointing it out. Uh, but FIP by year had a 167 FIP in his 223 ERA season in 2019. Uh, then the year that he had a 633 ERA in double A, his FIP was only 383, way lower. And then the 788 ERA. In AAA in 2021, his FIP was only a 3.12, significantly lower, right? And then his FIP was about his ERA in AAA in 2022, which uh, he had like 44 innings there. So that's a pretty big sample size as well. But just something I thought was worth pointing out at least is that some of the the projective stats and some of the the stats that say, oh, maybe he got a little unlucky, or maybe you know he he gave up a, a few more home runs than we expected him to give up. So. Uh, something, so again, just something that I think is worth pointing out. I think that they probably looked and said, look, 
The projective stats are better. The ERA looks inflated. We don't think he's actually that bad of a pitcher, and he has experience getting strikeouts at a really high clip, to be honest with you. So why not take a chance on him? I think that that was probably the mindset. And if he doesn't do well, then he'll be off the 40-man and be back on waivers, and he'll probably clear and just be AAA depth after that as well, which, again, we'll talk about in a second. Um, as far as the repertoire goes, it's fastball, changeup, cutter, curveball. Uh, there's much, mostly fastball, changeup. There's a pretty big drop-off in usage after those top two pitches. Um, I only have the advanced data and like the real statistics for the, uh, the, the nine innings of MLB ball. They don't have those kind of advanced numbers for the uh, for the minors yet. So that's just based on nine innings, that those usage percentage. So if he comes out and he throws a cutter 80% of the time, don't don't <laughs> yell at me and tell me that uh, I was wrong about his repertoire. But uh, that was the usage in that limited time. Uh, the only other thing that, that really matters is he's very tall and has high extension numbers. Again, I'm really just grasping at anything, any information I can get here. Um, but he has really good extension numbers, and that's something that coaches love, right? If you look at just – he's already really tall, and if he's extending and, and cutting the distance down from pitcher's mound to home plate, that that's only a good thing. That makes the, the – because he, he only throws mid-90s – or low-90s, rather. The fastball is like 91, 92 miles an hour. But if he's cutting down the distance between pitcher's mound and home plate, that makes the pitch appear faster than it actually is. So that's something that people like a lot, too. Could, be a, could have been a reason for some intangibles that – the coaching staff looked at and went, well, maybe we can bring him in and give him a shot. Really, the biggest thing uh, ahead of, again, I, he's certainly not the favorite. I, I wouldn't even put him in the top, like, two or three favorites to get uh, a, a bullpen job out of camp uh, just amongst the left-handed pitchers that have been invited to the spring. Nonetheless, you know, the entire pen, he's certainly not even in the top half of that conversation. But this new regime just continues to add depth pieces via the waiver wire, and I absolutely love it. I think it is such a, a massive sign of a healthy and competent front office. Uh, organizational depth is vital, and every single waiver claim is a testament to how Harrison Co. Harris and the rest of this front office believe this organization is still really thin, and especially it's a testament to how thin they thought it was when they initially took over, right? Because, uh, I mean, they've, they've made a billion waiver claims in that time, right? So they, they view the organization as, as thin, clearly, and they're going to go out and get a ton of 4A caliber players with potential to be more than that based on the numbers that they have, and they're going to take some swings on guys. And, yes, they're going to swing and miss at most of them, but it, it's still it's improved organizational depth, and, and I think that cannot be stressed enough. So I really, really like that a lot. Uh, the attention to waiver wire is the sign of a good front office and a healthy organization. I genuinely believe that. And and Scott Harris has certainly done that a lot so far since coming over. I know everyone's still upset. He didn't get any big names and, you know, he didn't make enough signings and that's not whatever. That's all fine. That's a subjective opinion. But I I really do love the, the waiver wire activity that we have seen this offseason. And this just adds to it. So we'll see him in the spring. Uh, Tyler Holton, we'll see him in the spring, and uh, we will certainly keep tabs on that lefty bullpen race because it is going to be one of the biggest storylines in camp for sure. Okay, let's get into Andrew Chafin and Michael Fulmer. Okay, let's get into the two of them. They officially signed with other clubs. 
So let's discuss uh, why the Tigers didn't bring them back, what it means that they didn't bring them back, et cetera, et cetera. But first, I got to tell you all about our friends over at FanDuel. It's the midway point of the NBA season. How about that dunk contest, eh? How about it? All-Star Weekend as a whole, Lillard with the three-point. It was very, very enjoyable All-Star Weekend, I thought. Uh, And with that, second half underway of the season, it's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back. If your first bet does not win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, it's secure, it's super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line, point scores, threes drained, etc., going to be some electric second half of the NBA season races. And uh, you want to get FanDuel to get in on the action there for the second half. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet. Up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash Locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, everybody. Welcome back here. Segment two, Locked On Tigers. Thank you for making us your first listen every day. For your next listen, check on the Locked On MLB Prospects podcast. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia. He's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It is free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube, just like us, baby. Okay, so we are talking about Michael Fulmer and Andrew Chafin. I don't plan on this being an extremely long conversation, but it is definitely worth noting that at the end of last week, Andrew Chafin and Michael Fulmer both signed major league contracts with organizations that were not the Detroit Tigers. We'll start with Chafin. He signed with the Arizona Diamondbacks team that he started with, I believe, a while ago. One-year deal with a club option for 2024. Uh, This deal, this year's deal, rather, 2023, GAV is about 5.5 mil, but with incentives, it could go all the way up to 6.5 mil. And uh, the incentives and everything in year two is over seven. It's like seven two or seven point four million dollars. So a pay raise in year two if the Diamondbacks do pick up and exercise that team option, that club option. Uh, it's important to note that Chafin declined a six and a half million dollar player option this winter to stay with the Detroit Tigers. Tested the market. It looks like he is taking a little bit of a pay cut in guaranteed money. But with incentives, which is just like innings pitch, performance-based type of stuff, uh, he has the uh, a pretty, I don't want to say easily, but it's very within the realm of possibility for him to hit all those incentives and still make six and a half this year, while also having a little bit more of uh, uh, the possibility of getting a multi-year. This thing we heard for him was he wanted some more long-term security and didn't really find it necessarily. I mean, like, yes, he he has the ability to be with the D-backs for two years, but in the same breath, if they suck again, I mean, he's getting flipped at the deadline, right? Like if he's really good and the Diamondbacks are awful again, which I I don't think they're going to be awful, awful, but they're certainly not going to compete in that division. Um, I, I mean, he could get flipped and then, for a year and a half of control too, if the team just wants to exercise his club option right away. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think he really went out there and found the longer term security that he was looking for, but still obviously wish him uh, nothing but the best. That That's the dog. Um, so yeah, take a little bit of a pay cut, but has the chance at least of saying somewhere for past this season, which is what he wanted. 
Michael Fulmer, the other one, obviously takes a one-year deal for four million dollars with the Chicago Cubs. Look, I this conversation is is difficult for me because I. I don't disagree with the sentiment of, like, why didn't they bring them back? They could have brought them back. They should have brought them back. I don't. But I also am not upset over not bringing them back either. Like, th- these aren't these aren't altering decisions. These aren't, like, franchise-altering, direction-altering decisions. Like, Andrew Chafin's this is going to be his age 33 season. And Michael Fulmer, this is going to be his age 30 season. Uh Yes, you could have paid that. Absolutely. You could have matched both of these contracts very, very easily. I'm not denying that at all. At no point in this segment will I ever be denying that. I want to make that very clear. You you absolutely could have done that financially. Um, but if you did, it just would have been a probably similar length, one-year deals, and they would have been rentals. And they you, if you were uncompetitive by the deadline, you would have flipped them at the deadline again. And I know that we have a new front office, but like we saw about what Michael Fulmer got at the deadline last year. If there wasn't a market, you just would have kept him and you just would have had two better relievers for a team that was going to go under 500 anyway. So, uh, and we've seen rental relievers a lot that maybe haven't gotten the, some rental relievers get a big return. I'm not saying that there's just no market for them, especially lefties, which Chafin is. They they absolutely can can garner a, a pretty nice market at the deadline, but I, I just I don't think that the return for either of them would have been like earth shattering. Um, I I don't know. I personally I'm just not losing sleep over not signing rental relievers in their 30s at this point. And like when you take away the names and and everything, like that's that's what their their profile is at this point. And, and so uh, this team also just in general, where my focus is is not really in. Can we improve the bullpen by a couple of wins this season? Like, th- this team has much bigger fish to fry than Andrew Chafin and Michael Fulmer coming back. Like, much bigger. A pair of dudes that that are going to be good, absolutely. Michael Fulmer w- it was great last year. Andrew Chafin was great last year. This is not an, a slander piece on the two of them. They absolutely, objectively, would have made this team better. Not, not declining, denying that, rather, at all. But uh, two 40 to 50 innings relievers wasn't going to alter the 2023 season. And then the, you're just in the same boat the year after that. And they're another year older and they're on expiring deals again. And then you have to have the same conversation next year. Like, I, I just, it, it kind of, I, I just, I, I understand they would have made the team better. But at the same time, I'm really, I'm not upset over not bringing them back. And now, for whatever it's worth, you are giving more players an opportunity to make a name for themselves and dudes that actually have like five or six years of control and can be a part of this bullpen for the foreseeable future, you're going to give more of those type of players opportunities to make a name for themselves in this bullpen. And we talked about the earmarking at-bats and innings pitch for a lot of players, and I don't think the bullpen is any different. So yes, I I they're great. I love them. I love what they did for this team. I I would have been I, I, if they would have brought them back. I would have came on this show and I would have been totally fine and in support of them coming back. Like in no way, shape, or form, am I saying I was I'm anti them returning. But I'm really I'm I'm totally okay with them not coming back too. 
Like Jason Foley was was a nobody prospect that got an opportunity at one point. Like Will Vest was a failed Rule 5 pick and got sent back to you by the Seattle Mariners after he had like a 5 or 6 ERA in the Rule 5 last year, two years ago. So like I, I'm all for giving more players opportunity and, and just I, I think – a lot of it is is for a lot of the fans is like sentimental anyway. Well, again, they they would have been two of the three best relievers in this bullpen. I'm I'm, I'm really I'm not trying to deny that truly, um, but I am personally, yes, they could have done it. Yes, they would have made the team slightly better. But no, it doesn't bother me. And no, I don't think it was a detrimental mistake to not bring them back. Those are the dogs forever. I root for them. I wish them nothing but the best. I love them. But I'm I'm really not not heartbroken over them not coming back at the same time. Okay, let's talk about relievers we actually do have and end the show with some Alex Lang propaganda because we can never get too much of that. But first, I got to tell you all about our friends over at Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat but you don't want all the fat and calories, you have got to try Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, obviously, in the last couple of months. I'm still trying to eat healthier. If you're like me, you want to eat healthier, but you don't want to compromise taste. I have the perfect thing for you if you fall into that category, and it is Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious. You won't think they're good for you, but they're perfect for your continued, as we're almost into March already, New Year's resolution of eating healthier. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, etc. I'm not sure how Bill does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is they're healthy. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. Now you don't need to wait around to get a box either. You don't have to order on Bill.com if you don't want to and wait a couple of days to get them. You can just go to your local Walmart or Sam's Club right now and get a four-bar box of cookies and cream and double chocolate or coconut. Or you can go to Sam's Club, like I said as well, get a 13-bar box, brownie batter, churro, etc. You'll thank me later. Go to Walmart, Sam's Club, or Built.com and get your hands on some Built Bars today. What is up, everybody? Welcome back here. Third and final segment of Locked On Tigers. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. I appreciate you all, baby. Uh, Let's talk about Alex Lang. It's always a good day when I get to come on this show and talk about how much I love Alex Lang. And this is one that that this show can very much take a a small victory lap on. Alex Lang was somebody that uh, when he was still in the minors and when he came up in 2021 and was kind of sporadic, you could see how nasty he was, and you could see the writing on the wall that this dude was going, had the potential to be incredible. And last year, we really saw that giant step and kind of that coming out party really across baseball. Got some love on on Pitching Ninja, uh, Advanced Analytics, love him for a lot of reasons. We'll talk about why. Uh, Last season, he ended with a 3-4-1 ERA. Actually, he also had a 3-2-9 FIP. Uh, as well. So maybe it should have been a little bit better. An 11.65 K per nine. That's just over a 30% K rate. Almost one of every three batters he faced over the course of a full season, 63 and a third innings pitch was a strikeout. 
Uh, did have a 4.41 walk per nine. That's a walk percentage of over 11%, about 11.5%. Okay, only gave up five home runs on the year as well, which is a great number. Uh, just Let's just drool over this together, okay? Just listen to this percentile, like where he falls percentile-wise in all these categories. If you look up his baseball savant page, it is almost all red. And we'll talk about the dark blue. He has one category he's really bad in. We'll talk about that later. But it's almost all dark red. Average exit velocity against, 93rd percentile in baseball. Hard hit percentage against, 67th percentile in baseball. Expected batting average, 87th percentile. Expected slug, 89th percentile. Barrel percentage, 83rd percentile. K percentage, 87th percentile. Chase rate, 95th percentile. And whiff rate, a hundredth percentile in whiff percentage on the year. One hundredth percentile. He is the top of the top. Incredible. So that's the type of talent that this team has coming out of the bullpen right now. And that makes it very much his closer job to lose. We'll call it. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, when talking about the type of pitcher he is, it's pretty much. At this point, curveball, sinker, changeup, and the curveball, he almost threw 50% of the time last year. That was a crazy development that we kind of kept an eye on throughout the season, right? Like, if you if you were listening to the show early on last year, we were like, oh, my, like, he's throwing this sinker a lot. It has a ton of movement. This is great. And the curveball is really good. This is awesome. And then by the end of the year, man, he was just throwing the curveball. It was his first pitch. His go-to pitch was his curveball rather than a, uh, some variation of fastball, which is just uh, so uncommon amongst pitchers in the history of baseball. And I absolutely love it. That makes him unique. And uh, that pitch works. If you want to talk, I mean, it's it's just his numbers are insane. Like They're literally unhuman. Um, highest curveball whiff percentage in baseball amongst qualified pitchers. 57.8%. His curveball... This is over a full season amongst every curveball he threw from opening day to game 162. He was approaching six, a 60% whiff percentage. It was swung on and missed over half of the time. That is remarkable. The second highest in the sport was 49.7%. He was almost at a 10% cushion. On second place, which for the record is Duran of, of Minnesota, who also is a cheat code. Okay, changeup, which he did not throw very much, especially in the first half of the season and started to throw a little bit more in the second half. Amongst pitchers who threw at least 100 changeups last season, he had, again, the highest changeup whiff percentage in baseball. 56%. Again, over half of the times his changeup was swung at over the course of a season, it was swung on and missed. The second highest in the sport was Brandon Woodruff with 54%. That is the company that he is with, with these whiff percentage numbers. It is remarkable. And also, on top of being a in the 100th percentile in whiff percentage as a whole, he had a ground ball percentage that was 10% better than league average and was over 50%. It was a 55% ground ball rate last year. That sinker doesn't get as much swings and misses as the other two, but it gets a lot of cold strikes because it's crazy movement 
and it's almost impossible to barrel up. So it gets a lot of ground balls. The launch angle on it was like one degree. He is a remarkable talent, and I cannot stress it enough. Again, if you watched the show last year, you know my fascination and, and my my fandom and my love of Alex Lang. I think he is an unbelievable talent, and I'm just trying to, to, to really stress how good he could be. Now, the one thing holding him back from taking that next step and just being truly amongst the elite, elite closers in this game is the walk rate. Last year, he was in the ninth percentile in walk percentage. And as we talked about earlier, had a walk rate over the course of the season of about 11.5%. That is far too high, right? And I know that we just went through like the Gregory Soto experience for the last three years, and some people are really tired of that. Uh, The difference, a couple of differences between those two guys. One, while Alex Lang still gets ground balls at a really high clip, Alex Lang can get a swing and a miss whenever he wants. Gregory Soto, despite being a lefty that threw 100 with movement, did not get a lot of whiffs last season. Was kind of a pitch-to-contact closer almost, even though, again, he was a lefty that threw 100 with movement. So there's a little bit of a difference there. Uh, Also, Alex Lang is is not plunking quite as many batters, so you have that frustration. That doesn't really matter to me, but... I know to some people it does. Um, The the biggest difference is just Gregory Soto at no point ever had the whiff and the strikeout numbers that Alex Lang has. Yes, he will walk batters. Buckle up, it's going to happen. But the, the, the whip is not awful. And the walk numbers, while again, let's compare them actually. Let's just do this live. So the walk rate, we already know what what Lang's is let's look up Soto's I don't know what off the top of my head let's look up Gregory Soto's um walk rate man seeing him in the Phillies stuff is definitely new uh 5.07 walk per nine that is a 13 percent walk percentage and his is only paired with a 22.8 percent K rate last year an eight uh, under nine K per nine less than a strikeout an inning okay so you're getting it, it is less walks than Soto, and you're getting significantly more strikeouts and swings and misses, and you're still getting the ground balls that Soto was good at. I just I I I understand that that some people are still like, can we just get someone that's not going to walk a ton of batters? I understand. Alex Lang is also this is this will be his second full season and his third appearance in a major league season period. I, I, I think that he will continue to take steps forward. Um, if you take out, there was a little bit of, I want to say it was August, there was a little bit of a dip in production for Lang right after the All-Star break and the trade deadline. And if you remove that, the numbers are even better than they already are last season. I, I'm a really big believer in this kid, and I think that he can be a staple in the back end of this bullpen for years to come. And I'm unbelievably excited about him. As far as the bullpen goes, uh, I think that like his role within the bullpen, I think that the closer job, again, quote-unquote, is his to lose. I can't wait to see him in higher, higher leverage situations this year. He has more than earned it based on what he did last season. Um, you know, I, I, I talk a lot about how I think baseball in general is moving away from the pure, like, 
ninth inning, pure closer, closer type of role. And I think we just have so much information and so many analytics at our disposal now that you can make a true judgment call and a, a true cal- not calculated risk, but you can you can make a better decision on who is going to get the ninth inning based on the opponents that are due up for the the, the opposition or uh, a, a plethora of reasons, to be honest with you. And I, I've talked about that a lot this offseason. And some people kind of get mad at me and are like, oh, I missed the days of the closer. And I totally get it. I, I totally understand that. I'm, I'm, I'm with you in the sense of missing it. But both can also happen. And I think that we might be in store this season for, for that. It is possible to have that not by committee, but make every single decision on your bullpen based on the numbers and based on who you think and who the numbers say is the better choice to get the ninth inning based on those numbers. And it can still be one dude every time you make that decision. Because sometimes the stats and the numbers tell you that one dude is the best choice no matter what the situation is because he's that much better than every other reliever in your bullpen. And while I I really I don't want to get too ahead of myself and then him have, you know, give up two home runs in the first week of the season and everybody to freak out. But I truly think we could be in a situation here where you can still have a situational bullpen but also just end up going to Alex Lang nearly every single ninth inning because – The numbers will tell you that situationally he is the best choice every single ninth inning. That makes sense? The rest of the bullpen we'll talk about as we discuss other names, uh, kind of the fringe candidates. We'll get into the competition there. Alex Lang, certainly not a fringe candidate. And I I think that he could – the stage is set, like I said at the beginning of the show, for him to have a phenomenal season if he kind of takes the bull by the horns there and, and, and takes advantage of his opportunity that he's going to be given because he is going to have every opportunity under the sun to just take this high leverage reliever, highest leverage reliever role on the team and, and just run with it. So here's to, to hoping that Alex Lane can, can kind of live up to that and, and like I said, take that opportunity and run with it. So thank you for making Lockdown Tigers your first listen every single day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. As you all know, for your next listen, check on the Lockdown MLB Prospects podcast. So Lindsey Crosby is his prospect encyclopedia. And he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It is free and available wherever you get your podcast. Just like us. That's all I got for you. Went a little bit over on time here. You know, it's every episode I think, man, maybe I'll go a little bit under on time here. Those are the ones that I end up going the longest on. We will be back tomorrow. As we were back to five days a week. And yeah, we'll talk about more news and notes out of camp. We will do another player preview and we'll keep the ball rolling here. All right. It's almost back. Almost back. Peace and love. Going to therapy's dope. I'll catch y'all then. Go Tigers.